Welcome to the In Camera Review Podcast. Mike, Matt, and Logan, we are lawyers talking about movies. Tonight, we'll be discussing the same thing we always talk about, Pinky. Not how to take over the world, but a movie and actor in a year. Specifically tonight, we will be discussing Logan's pick, which is Lawless. The actor, Matt's pick, Tom Cruise. And the year I selected was 2009 in film, the 82nd Academy Awards in 2010. The Hurt Locker brought home the gold that year. Also nominated in 2009 was Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, An Education, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, based on the novel pushed by Sapphire, A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. Logan, what'd you watch this week? I got some work in this week, actually. So I did Lawless. I rewatched Hurt Locker. I watched a movie called The Yards, old Love Mark it. Wahlberg film. Love it. With Love it. Baby Joaquin Phoenix. Charlie Theron. Yeah, James Charlie Theron. Yep. It, yeah, I remember uh, that like it was yesterday, man. Yeah, decent movie. Kind of an interesting look at corruption and the way it all shakes out. And then I also started, Matt, you'll be excited to hear, I started I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO, which is about the Golden State Killer. I totally um, forgot. I read that. I totally forgot. Right. I think I've watched the first three episodes now. It's very good. I didn't know that the woman who was writing the book was married to Pat Oswalt until Correct. she passed away. And so they have a lot of footage of him and her, and it's interesting. Matt, what'd you watch? You know, what I got in Lawless, I read a Bosch book, and boy, was I pleased. But not much with me. What about you, Mike? This week, I watched Lawless, of course. I also watched, I got one on a big Tom Cruise kick. I did Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol, and I did Mission Impossible 6 Fallout. I didn't watch Mission Impossible 5, and I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure I didn't miss anything <laughs> to follow that with 6. I also watched Days of Thunder, which honestly is one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure movies. I love that movie. Excited uh, to talk about Tommy Boy. I watched Up, and then I also watched District 9, which I'm a big fan of. When we come back, we will be talking about Lawless. Forrest Bonnerant, seems you've been involved in certain illegal activities. Illegal activities, huh? Look here, Forrest. You play ball with us, we can make this here summons disappear. You trying to shake me down, Henry? I'm just a messenger here, Forrest. That was Tom Hardy and Jason Clark in a scene from Lawless, came out in 2012, directed by John Hillcoat. You might know him from The Road, the Cormac McCarthy book that he turned into a movie. He's a music video director as well as some of the other folks we've talked about on this podcast, including directing music videos for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. <laughs> He's an Aussie. This movie is also based on a book called The Wettest County in the World, which came out in 2008 by Matt Bondurant. The screenplay is by Nick Cave. We peripherally talked about Nick Cave because he did a lot of the, the songs on Hell or High Water when we looked at that, when we looked at that movie on this podcast. The movie stars... Shia LaBeouf, Tom Hardy, Jessica Chastain, Gary Oldman, 
Jason Clark and Guy Pierce. Hell of a performance by Guy Pierce. Did you hear him call me a Nance? <laughs> <laughs> Do I look stupid to you? Three brothers, the Bondurant brothers in Franklin County, Virginia. If you're familiar with that area, it's the Roanoke area of Virginia. They're bootleggers during Prohibition in 1931, toward the tail end of Prohibition. And all is well for the Bondurant brothers making very good moonshine and your finest apple brandy. Uh, until Chicago gangsters, Guy Pierce et al., try to move in and end up starting a feud with the Bondurant brothers and lots of people get shot. It's an interesting one. I give this movie three stars. As I've talked to you guys off the podcast, my mom's side of the family is from Franklin County, Virginia. So this is kind of like looking at old photo albums, grandparents, you know, <laughs> but instead of moonshine, they made apple butter. <laughs> <laughs> I like this movie. I, I, I like the cast a lot. I like the performances. It's I'm not a huge Shia fan, but I thought he was really good in this movie. He's well suited for the role. I he's really well he's cast. Likeable. Not off screen. How about this? He's <laughs> as likable on screen as he is unlikable off screen for me. It's it's insane. I've never seen anything that he's in that I'm not entertained. He's just fun, I think. Well, Tom Hardy is also good in this movie, although he does, at least after he gets his throat cut, he does reminisce a little bit of the Bane role from Batman. Oh, Floyd Banner himself. Uh, and that's difficult to understand him, but he's very good in this movie. He turns out, I think, one of one of his best performances among many very good performances that he's done. Jessica Chastain and Gary Oldman are fantastic as supporting cast. And Guy Pierce is really into his haircut in that movie. Mm-hmm. Right. This director, I love the road. I love the way he directed the road. He does he has a really good knack for doing dark movies on that darker side of humanity. And there's a, there's a lot of that element in this movie, but it's also, it's just not the right tone because it's not a dark movie entirely. It's also a love story. I think this movie has an identity crisis. I think it wanted Big to do time. too much. Big time. Right. Big time. Yeah. And that's what I have to say about it is like, I remember watching the previews for when it came out and I was so excited to see it because of the cast, the genre or the topic that it's about. I was just like over the moon to see it. And I remember watching it the first time and I enjoyed it, but for whatever reason, I just kind of like moved past it. And and usually when I like love movies, I'll go back and watch them several times within, you know, the first week of seeing them. And I, I didn't do that on this one. And so then going back, you can definitely see that it has an identity crisis is like the perfect way to characterize it. This movie has its moments but there is just this like missing element or there's an extra element that shouldn't be there. Something sure. is just not quite right. And it's so sad because the cast and the music and the cinematography, like everything about it screams like it's going to be a great movie. Have we discussed a movie that has two of the three legs being acting and directing but not having the writing there. That was my analysis for Black Mass. Okay. All right. So yeah, so that's right. It's similar. This falls into Black Mass land because yeah. you've got great performances. Logan, if you're wondering what the problem is with the movie, it's because nobody in the movie is from America and one of the most American stories 
Nick Cave is an Australian, right? He lives <laughs> right. In, in Britain, right? I, I mean, he knows nothing about this. Director's an Aussie as well. <laughs> Jason Clark is an Aussie. Tom Hardy's Tom a Hardy Brit. is from Britain. <laughs> Gary Oldman is from Britain. Nobody <laughs> in the movie knows about Prohibition or what was going on. I think this was almost more like a comic book telling of it. And that's kind of how Nick Cave is anyway. It had a lot of style. You guys cannot deny it that. It jumped on the heels of Boardwalk Empire, and they just had a bunch of handsome people dressed like, you know, gangsters and have a lot of fun. And and they got lucky with getting breakout performances from Hardy in it. I mean, the guy doesn't mail anything in. And I don't think Jason Clark does either. And I think they had a lot of fun. I think the director and Nick Cave are boys, right? Because Nick Cave did the right. score on the road. The yep. director also did the proposition, which Nick Cave did the score for and wrote and Guy Pierce starred in it. The thing about this movie is it covers the very well-plowed field of the Prohibition era in the United States. The Untouchables. Boardwalk. Any, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. It, and any crime movie, right, right, related to the mob and the Godfather, right, Godfather, right. or even even The Great Gatsby, right. I mean, it covers the same time period, right. It's the Roaring Twenties, right. I would applaud the idea of bringing the the Chicago gangland style Prohibition era to, you know, the backwoods of Virginia. There's a different angle, different right? angle for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is historically accurate. As Logan, you've talked about many times, it is difficult to do that, that adapted screenplay uh, from a true story from a book. It is difficult. But since this movie is called Lawless and it's actually full of law, I thought we should talk about the law a little bit since we're lawyers talking about movies. So Prohibition was a constitutional amendment that was passed in 1919. It was the 18th Amendment. Why would you pass a constitutional amendment instead of just passing a law in Congress? I'll, I'll do what I always do and say. I'll, I'll defer to the guy next to me. <laughs> I have no idea why they would do that because it's, and I don't even know how they got it passed. Like if you look back, given what happens after they pass it. Right. They caught lightning in a bottle. I guess like 80% of the country was like drunk at all times during that, just prior to it. And you had, <laughs> you had my, my boy Ruther B. Hayes, wife, Lemonade Lucy, and all the moderates or temperance movement. Go ahead, so there, there was a very strange coalition that got behind the 18th Amendment to get it passed. It was uh, on the same side were pro-women's rights, trying to get a, a constitutional amendment passed that would give women the right to vote. Those people banded together with the likes of the KKK because the, they didn't like alcohol. And the temperance movement became this very mixed, strange, odd bird coalition of folks who they were able to get this constitutional amendment passed. Most constitutional amendments are passed when you get two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate to vote for a constitutional amendment, and then that has to then be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures. That's how every single constitutional amendment has been passed except one, and the one that was passed differently was the 21st Amendment, which is the amendment that repealed prohibition. So the 21st Amendment is significant for two reasons. One is, is that it's the only constitutional amendment that repealed another one. But that was not ratified by the state legislatures. That was ratified by state conventions. And those are kind of like basically elected delegates for a state that go to a convention and and ratify the constitutional amendment for each state as opposed to the legislature. I think the reason why that happened is just because they wanted to do it faster. 
do you remember what year the 21st was? That was ratified in 1933. Right. And so, yeah, for 13 years in this country, it was illegal to have anything above 0.5% alcohol. It was really low. I mean, it got beer and wine and everything, not just spirits. Mm-hmm. I wonder why more states don't try to pass amendments. It's just a battle about who you elect for president so he can appoint a Supreme Court justice. And that's exactly right. That's where we are 100 years later, is that we look to 5-4 decisions of the Supreme Court to tell us what the Constitution means, whereas before you would look to amend the Constitution, because there's much more of a, a shared understanding of what it meant and its limitations. The drinking age example is a good one. For a long time in this country, we did not have a uniform drinking age of 21. It was 18 in Louisiana. It was 21 in Florida. All over the place, it's different. Right. In Ohio, you could have three-quarter beer when you were 18. Right. Yeah, different rules all over the place. And so, you know, that led to the formation of Mothers Against Drunk Driving and these, these bloody highways in between these jurisdictions. And so they pushed in the 80s to get a national drinking age passed. And really what they should have done if they wanted to do that is to amend the Constitution, right? Just like they did with Prohibition and say, just basically the same thing Prohibition says, it says for anyone under 21. But that's not what they did. Instead, they passed a law that said, if you don't have a drinking age of 21 or higher, then you cannot get federal highway funds. And so instead of passing the constitutional amendment through that process, like they did during the prohibition era, they just basically extorted the states and said, we're the federal government, we got all the money. And to this day, Louisiana still has the worst roads in the country. But yeah, that's that's a change in in 100 years that we used to solve disagreements in this country with constitutional amendments instead of Supreme Court decisions. And I leave to the tens of listeners that we have to decide what is the better. (laughs) Dozens. Yeah. There also has to be a little blame for the Supreme Court for not doing what they're supposed to be doing and essentially saying, look, it's our job to say what the law is and essentially send it back and say, if you want this changed, you need to have a constitutional amendment passed, right? Some of the recent court decisions, I think, have highlighted this. And, and you know, there probably should be amendments proposed. They will never pass given the hurdles that they have to get over, in my, in my estimation. What I can say is that this legal conversation, just like the movie Lawless, has gone on a little bit longer than it should have. But that was one of my, my negative marks against Lawless was the length of it. It was a popcorn movie, and I really did enjoy it. I liked that I didn't have to pay that much attention to it. Really loved that. Had a lot of style. It was good. It was fun. How many stars? I give it a cool 2.9 stars, and I loved every bit of it. <laughs> I'm never going to think about it again. I'm never going to watch it again, and I'm never going to talk about it again after I complete this sentence. I'm also in the three star camp for this movie breaks my heart. Cause I, I, you know, I had such high hopes for it. Well, and it had a lot of potential. You had a very talented director. You had a very talented screenwriter, a different take on all of the prohibition stuff at a different angle. You got a great cast and other than Guy Pierce, it's top notch. The world needs three star movies. And I think this movie was better than black mass. On the other side of the break, we will be talking about Tom Cruise. Colonel, 
Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut these guys loose! Your Honor, you have markers inside of money transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon, a few good men. Great movie. Let's just be honest. Mike, your father is an attorney. My dad is an attorney. But I'd say if I didn't see A Few Good Men, I might not be a lawyer reviewing movies right now. Okay? I mean, that, that movie, even though it is not legally possible what occurred in that cross-examination. Objection, I mean, Judge. Is there a question anywhere in our future? That's a great scene. I love that scene. Not to take anything away from it, but it's Aaron Sorkin and he's not a lawyer. <laughs> Tom Cruise is testifying in the scene, right. which is not allowed from attorneys. So, so the lawyer asks the questions and the witness answers them. And, and I've actually had a witness say, can I ask you a question? And I say, no. I ask the questions and you answer them. That's just the way it goes. That's the formality of the courtroom. And Tom Cruise accuses him of all of these things. You, Dr. The Logbooks, you know, you, you did this, you ordered the code red. And then he says, Jack Nicholson, the witness says, you want answers. And he says, <laughs> I, I want the truth. Okay. So now we're switching roles. He gets to ask questions. And, and, and so. And, Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg. Poor, poor Kevin Pollock. He had no idea what he signed <laughs> up for. But it, it does lead to, Logan, that is the greatest objection of all time, which is, is there a question anywhere in our future, Judge? Right. You're not supposed which to talk. You, you're supposed to ask questions. Which would have shut it down immediately in a oh normal God. courtroom. Tom Cruise would have been arrested and court-martialed within the first sentence, and those two Marines would be still in jail right now. <laughs> How? What did that mean? Tom Cruise has been nominated for an Academy Award on three occasions. 1990, Best Actor, Born on the Fourth of July. 1997, Best Actor, Jerry Maguire. And 2000, Best Supporting Actor, Magnolia. He did not take home the gold for any of those nominations, though. His filmography has these long strides in it that I think are very rare that you see an actor have where they're just able to hit gold over and over again for a long period of time. The Outsiders, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Top Gun. Legend is a good movie. Legend is a Ridley Scott excellent movie. Go on. <laughs> Cocktail. That's ready. Rain Man, born on the 4th of July. But for the record, he was born on July 3rd, not July 4th. Oh. <laughs> Days of Thunder, Far and Away, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, Mission Impossible 2, Vanilla Sky, Minority Report, The Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, Mission Impossible 3, Lions for Lambs, Tropic... Now the wheels are falling off. Valkyrie, Rock of Ages, Jack Reacher, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow or also known as Live, Die, Repeat, depending on what country you live in. Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. He clearly does. 
The Mummy, American Made, Mission Impossible Fallout, and then I'm I'm seeing Mission Impossible Eight. I suppose and it as nine, long as seven, uh, yeah, eight, nine. There's it's, like multiple. Mission all he does is Mission Impossible and Reachers now. But what I like about these movies is is once you hit three, they stop calling it three. So it's like I was looking at it's like am I Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? I'm like which one is that? I don't know. Right. There's a Fallout. The Fallout but from then one. like and then they but then they get back to it around like eight. It's just like, by the way, remember, this is number eight. It's like, <laughs> Fast and Furious wait, eight. This is Fast and Furious Salvation with, wait, no, that's Terminator. No. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is that as long as people go see the movies, they still make them. Tom Cruise. Oh, still, this guy makes money. Right? He, he makes money. Does he still put butts in the seats? I think generally, yes. I think he's one of the highest paid actors because he puts butts in the seats. He put my butt in the seats on for the 1990s and the aughts. That's for sure. That's for damn sure. What's interesting for me when I look back is that it is clear when he does the first Mission Impossible that it changes what movies he wants to do and he wants to be an action star. So if you look at the movies that he does up to that point, and then I think he does Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire in the same year, the first Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire, like Jerry Maguire, I guess he has a couple like Magnolia and a couple other ones. Yeah, well, again, I don't know if them, I agree with you on this. No, I think it's Mission Impossible 3 that makes him decide I want to be an action star only because the late 90s, early aughts, He's going for the Academy Award, it looks like. I mean, you don't work with Stanley Kubrick if you want to be an action star. I mean, that's that's the thing about that time. So he's got a few good men. That's Rob Reiner, The Firm. That's Sidney Pollack. Mission Impossible is Brian De Palma, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick, Magnolia's P.T. Anderson. He turns in great performances in those movies. Those are good movies. And yeah, I mean, I I think that's what he was going for. That was his sort of Matthew McConaughey period. He just didn't get his Dallas Buyers Club moment. He would have gotten it if they didn't pull the curtain on Scientology. He he was going in that direction. And then people were like, hey, did you all know that Tom Cruise is a lunatic? We've never seen you behave this way before. I know. (laughs) I mean, and after that, I mean, everybody looked at him cross-eyed. Right. Well, then he just does action movies from there on out. Like almost every single one of the movies after that is right. a action Absolutely. film. Absolutely. I, I think he makes tons of money at it. You know, he still gets people to come in because like most sequels, they go bigger and better and everybody, the sheep will love the bigger explosions and stuff. I find Tom Cruise's career somewhat tragic because he was, he was yeah, on a, I agree. He was on a trajectory and did some of like our favorite scenes, our favorite movies, right? Whatever you think about Jerry Maguire, the scene with him yelling at the phone, like it's an iconic scene, right? Correct. And he is doing so much good stuff like that. And then it just, now I'm an action star. I don't do real movies anymore. I'm never going to win an Academy Award. And so I have my fingers crossed that in the autumn of his years, he gets, I don't see it. He can't do action movies anymore. He's got to be able to like come back and do some 
some old stuff. I don't maybe. So that so that was going to be one of my questions to you guys is is Tom Cruise a good actor? I would say yes. Why would you say yes? I, I don't think. I, look, I'm not going to put him in the you know the Daniel Day category. This was a great man. Or as we've discussed on the podcast, the, maybe the Jake Gyllenhaal category. But Tom's got chops, man. I kind of compare him to Matt Damon. Solid performance every single time out. You believe in the character that he's playing. Like I watched American Made recently. He's really good in that movie. He got the job done in American Made. He can right. still get the job done for sure. Right. For sure. I feel like he's not as employable as he used to be because of the, the Scientology thing. I'm wondering if he's going to turn into like Charles Bronson, right? Like when he's in the autumn of his years, he's going to be doing right. like B action movies. And I think it's more going in that direction, right. which is which is why his, his career is maybe, it, I mean, he's would, like the Ken Griffey Jr. of acting, like first to 500 home runs, and then it's traded to, or signs with the Cincinnati Reds and just gets exposed as a Scientologist on the first day. You know what I mean? <laughs> and from there, it just all fell apart. What I would say about Tom Cruise being a good actor is that I think the answer is sometimes the Michael Mann movie Collateral. I think he's great in that movie. Oh yeah, he's really good in that. I, mm -hmm. I think he's really good, and he's and he's and I think probably he's good in that movie for the same reason he's good as Frank T.J. Mackey in Magnolia. How to fake like you are nice and caring? No, I, I don't want a microphone. And some of these other characters that are a little bit crazy because I think Tom Cruise is a little bit crazy. Mm. And so I think he manages to pull that off very convincingly and can kind of, it's almost like quasi method acting because he's supposed to walk around thinking he's a little bit off kilter and crazy, but I think that's kind of how he is all the time. Rather than trying to be a normal person, like a normal lawyer who's trying to like keep his marriage together in the firm or eyes wide shut, a doctor who's trying to keep his marriage together, Jerry Maguire, who's trying to keep a relationship together. I mean, he's, he's not, I don't think he's that person. So I think he's I think he's much better off in the rich field of uh, of very offbeat characters because he's an offbeat guy and I think that uh, that those roles come more naturally to him. So I think it depends. Yeah. Early '90s, mid '90s, he he was great in Interview with a Vampire. He's very good in that movie, and that that movie he's a lot of fun. So that's a that's a really good book, and the the movie is not bad. It's just got a little too kind of became the twilight of our generation a little bit with the, you know, sparkly skin vampires kind of thing with Brad Pitt and Christian Slater and Tom Cruise. He and saved that movie. Tom Cruise saved that movie. Because he's the darkest of the characters. He actually relishes being a vampire as opposed to the other characters in the movie who gradually go through this process of not wanting to be one. This guy just couldn't win the Oscar. Yeah. Huh? And what, what was he up for? He was up for supporting for? For, uh, for Magnolia. Yeah, he, did didn't he, get, get did he, get, he didn't get nominated for A Few Good Men. No. No. But, did he get nominated for Jerry Maguire? Yes, for Jerry Maguire and for Born on the Fourth of July. You know what? They, it's got to be it's got to be the big ass, man. Matt, Matt, you don't even, you're glib. You don't even know what Ritalin is. They knew the whole time and we didn't. That's all. <laughs> Here's what I have to say about Tom Cruise. I miss, and not even for nostalgia reasons, I miss mid-90s Tom Cruise. He can do it. Let yourself age a little bit. 
how about that? That's a problem, guys. Stop dyeing your hair. Stop dyeing your hair. Just let it go gray. Let yourself get older. You would have been just as handsome as a as a middle-aged man, right? Let yourself age and see see what happens. That's that's how I'm gonna leave it, Tom. I miss you. Uh, otherwise, you're destined to be the Charles Bronson of the CGI era. Correct. <laughs> not what we want for you, Tom. We will be back in just a second, and we will be talking about the year in film of 2009 and the 2010 Academy Awards. How many bombs have you disarmed? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Sergeant. Yes. I asked you a question. 873. 873. 873. That's just hot shit. 873. Uh, They're counting today, sir. Yes. That's got to be a record. Uh, what's the best way to, to go about disarming one of these things? The way you don't die, sir. Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker directed by Catherine Bigelow. Uh, we have reviewed a film of hers on this podcast, Zero Dark Thirty, we're, we're fans. That year, The Hurt Locker took home the gold, obviously. I'm gonna run through the, the also-rans real quick before we talk about The Hurt Locker. Avatar, of course, directed by James Cameron. The Blind Side, based on a Michael Lewis book, directed by John Lee Hancock. Uh, he's a sports director, he did The Rookie. District Nine, directed by Neil Bloomkamp. Mediocre. An Education was directed by Lone Scherfig. She's a Danish director, so she does a lot of Danish movies. <laughs> <laughs> Inglorious Bastards, obviously, Quentin Tarantino. Precious was directed by Lee Daniels, uh, who you would know from The Butler. A Serious Man is directed by the Coen brothers. Uh, Up is a Pixar movie. Up in the Air is directed by Jason Reitman. So here's the thing about, about The Hurt Locker. This movie came out in 2009, which was also the same year that Obama took office. This was the absolute right time for this movie to be made because we just had a campaign. And one of the things I went back and looked at some of the debates between Obama and McCain to see what they talked about. A lot of it was because it was McCain, but there was a strong focus on the Iraq war in that election. Oh, there was this, right. There was this Obama was the was always saying that he was against the war and that he would have voted against it. John McCain was always for the Iraq war throughout its lifespan. And the significant thing about that war compared to say, for example, Vietnam is that there was a strong effort to support the troops in the Iraq war. And that was not the case during the Vietnam war. The most vocal protesters would say, I hate the war. I hate George W. Bush, but man, I support the troops. This movie does that. It's an anti-war movie. It, it shows a lot of the bad things about war and a lot of the pointlessness to it, in my opinion. I think that's what it shows. It highlights some of the most interesting people and talented people that we send into battle and do these really strange jobs like disarm bombs and save the lives of, of thousands of American soldiers by doing that kind of work. And so I think that this movie just hit that right tone at the right time. Talk this about was... Renner being in the right place at the right time, man. Yeah. Then, of course, the other thing is that Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband, James Cameron, was up for Avatar, and they were not a about to let him win for that and stand up again and say, I'm the king of the world! 
in my opinion, well, I think Hurt Locker was well deserving of the award and is a five star movie. This was supposed to be Tarantino's year, right? He was supposed to win. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite films of all time. Is my it Quentin opinion, Tarantino's best movie? I would say yes, because there's two scenes that I think are his best scenes in Inglorious Bastards the opening scene. You're sheltering enemies of the state, are you not? And the bar scene. Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking to kings. I think this was his year. He didn't win anything. He didn't win. Inglorious Bastards won nothing. I don't um, think he'll win until he's like 70. Like, <laughs> I mean, of all the years or whatever, I felt like this was the closest he was going to get. And Hurt Locker kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, I, oh, this I think, year, this year was the year he was supposed to win it. And he didn't. I, I don't think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was as good or his best movie. So I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it certainly ticked all the boxes that hot that the Academy likes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a movie about Hollywood, which they mm-hmm. absolutely love, right? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of ticked all the boxes. It's got a bunch of people's favorites. You're probably right, man. This year was probably more his year than that year, but I think there's two five-star movies. I don't. I can't believe Crazy Heart didn't get nominated for Best Picture. I'm a huge Jeff Bridges fan. Was that Cooper's first movie? I think it was. I think it, it was. was first it was. movie. So I think that's why. So they're like, who is this kid? Yeah. And you don't get to play. To me, uh, District 9, I personally like that movie because I like good sci-fi, but it doesn't belong on this list. Um, uh, over Crazy Heart? Right? Yeah. Like there's some other movies right? that are out there that are like, I don't like musicals, as you guys know, but Nine with Daniel Day-Lewis came out that year as well, which is a fantastically fun movie. And I can't believe that didn't get nominated either. You like Nine, you like musicals. It's just, <laughs> just watch the other ones and you'll like them. I will not. <laughs> also, Up, the Pixar movie. Look, I get it. It's a great movie. I like watching it. We've it's talked just, about this. They, they, I don't know why they include the cartoons. That opening 20 minutes is a little bit unique. I think, for example, I think Wally is a better movie. I think Wally does more interesting things, and I think the first 20 minutes of Wally does that better. Now, right. does, does Up pull at the heartstrings? Absolutely. The problem with this year is that this is the first time that they did 10 nominees for Best Picture since the 40s. I was against it. I thought five was the magic number. Seven minute abs, not six. I said seven. Nobody's coming up with six. Who works out in six minutes? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good movies that year. I agree with you, Logan, that I think an argument can be made that Inglorious Bastards is his best movie. It's not my opinion, but reasonable minds can differ on that, I think. In any event, I think the Hurt Locker did deserve to win that year, though. I think, yeah, I think, it, I, is, I think it is the best movie. Not by, not by a lot, but I think it is the best movie. We hit another Best Picture year, which had a couple five-star movies in it. And 95, I, it's, it's Pulp Fiction and Shank and Forrest Gump. Right. I don't know that I agree with the winner, but I also can't really say like, oh, they completely got it wrong. When we come back, we will be making our picks for next week. underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now, but in it. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? 
at the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Steele. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. Now we're going to do a, another very legal-themed movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm excited about it. It's got a lot of actors in it, and was it written and directed by Sorkin? Correct. I wonder if it's going to suffer from a lack of restraint because he did both. But I love movies he writes, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it because I saw a Vincent D'Onofrio movie from 2000 called Steal This Movie. I've where seen he, that movie. You've seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where he played Abby Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an Abby Hoffman biopic pick. And when I stumbled upon it, I was like, oh, wait, that's the guy from Forrest Gump. Correct. That's, that's, the, exactly right? how, that's exactly how I did it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we do a lot when we talk about movies is who would be the best actors to play the characters. And when I saw the trailer and I saw Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman, just and like perfect. I was just like, oh, this is... I would have never thought of this, but this is spot on. And so I'm Correct. really looking forward to seeing that. I don't know if he's going to get any love from the Academy, but I know that he would have if they would have worked it out or he would have gotten Freddie Mercury for Bohemian Rhapsody. The guy has range. He's a real actor. I'm excited to see it for that, but uh, but equally excited to to see how the Sorkin stuff gets out because Sorkin can do a legal drama. We know this no from doubt. good men. No doubt. No doubt. But, Matt, it's your pick for actor. Who are we going to look at for our actor segment? One of my old-time favorites. I'm going to go Willem Dafoe. I love him. It's I'm excited about that. I've seen, Whenever I see, like, a art house, low-budget movie that's got Willem Dafoe in it, I'm like, well, I'll watch it because Willem Dafoe's in it. Guy works a lot. He's prolific and not in big-budget movies. But he is in big-budget movies, too. That Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie was the huge. beginning of all of this, it's right? Huge. If we're talking about X-Men, X-Men was was not even close. Right. It was, right. It was Spider-Man. Spider-Man blew it out of the water. Spider-Man. Oh yeah. I mean, he's your yeah. boy from the Lighthouse too, right? We're gonna talk about it. It is time for us to go in the Wayback Machine, and we are gonna go to 1986. What year is film. that? And that is the 59th Academy Awards from 1987. The nominees for Best Picture were A Room with a View, The Mission, Hannah and Her Sisters, Children of a Lesser God, and Winner, Platoon. Oh, that'll be great. Starring Willem Dafoe. (laughs) Willem Dafoe has 137 credits. Guy was in five movies in 2021. Cranking them out. He does. I don't think a lot of them are good, though. I think he's good in them. I mean, he definitely doesn't look at the script and say, so is is Sean Patrick Flannery attached to this project? <laughs> That's it for this week's in-camera review podcast. Mike, Matt, and Logan, we are lawyers talking about movies. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.